Aaron, Tracy, Hello. welcome to the CTO studio. Hello. Thank you. Do you like the studio? Is it we added some paintings and it's cool? the best studio I've been in. So wow. yes, Amazing. it's pretty. It's very uh, minimalist, is what I would call it. Very aesthetic, maybe Parisian even. Wow! And did you receive the goodie bags we mailed you guys? Yes, Good. I received my live turtle. Oh yeah! Thank you. You're, you're, yeah, you were oddly specific about what you wanted. So. Yes, you're not supposed to say about the bags on air because not everyone gets the bags. You're right. You're right. We choose right. who gets the bags and the turtles. It's turtles all the way down. I'm so happy to have the two of you. We are talking about the hiring process in general, the global hiring problem. And today we want to dig into the assimilation of great people into our culture, fondly referred to as the onboarding process but also the things that we need to think about when we finally land the candidates, we find the sales job worked, they're in, we're in, you are doing middle management hiring, direct report hiring, executive hiring. All of that is a complex morass of relationships and getting to know each other. So really thankful, Britt and I, that the two of you can join us. From seven CTOs, my name is Etienne De Bruin, and you're in the CTO studio. I'm Tracy Lafka. I am CTO at Fly Homes, which is a real estate startup based out of Seattle. We're focused on helping home buyers and home sellers, but starting with home buyers actually win in really competitive markets. And so we have some fintech products that help you make a cash offer if you're a normal person. I'm Aaron Fazzaro. I am um, VP of Engineering at Chipper Cash. We are located, headquartered in San Francisco, California, but we're a global or a remote company focused on bringing opportunities to the African economy. Bringing uh, brilliance in many different places and in many homes. <laughs> you, you've hired someone, they've, they've started the process. Like, where does your brain go after that? What are the first things you start to think about or even start questioning? Or Yeah. So when I think about when I bring someone on board, the first thing I have to think about is I think everybody leans into onboarding. And so like, how do you get access to things and how do you who is their manager and all of the operational stuff. The thing that we've started doing in engineering is providing people with buddies as well. And that's more around because once you get your system set up and stuff, it's also really easy to feel isolated. And so pairing people with someone that you can have coffee with and ask questions. And I think that's even more important when you're a global remote company because the feeling of isolation can set in pretty quickly when you're remote anyway. So that's one of the first things I think about is who I'm going to, who am I going to buddy this person with so that they have a, like a human support as well as the operational, how do I do my job? Yeah. I consider that change management of massaging someone into the culture as such, it requires so much effort. And I love the idea of the buddy. Do you train the buddies? Do they, do they get trained on how to be proactive, intentional about that relation? Is there like a little checklist they have to hit or how does that work? Yeah. So my chief of staff is amazing and she started running with this buddy program and there's check-ins and she also checks in with those folks. 
to make sure that they have, they know their expectations of what does it mean to be a buddy? What are the sort of things that like suggestions to reach out and ask topics on to make sure that somebody, even if they're not super vocal or if they're very introverted, that you can open the door to questions they may have at certain points in the relationship. And then check-ins to make sure that if the buddy is struggling with something that they're able to ask for some guidance on it. So we we have a program and that there's a checklist of what are what's the expectation on cadence and stuff and what is the expectation of a buddy and then making sure that folks have the opportunity and support in order to even make that relationship successful. By no means are we perfect at it because this was we literally just created it based on need. Like we knew that the isolation was starting to set in because we're fully remote and we were growing really fast. And the first thing that breaks down in remote companies that are growing really fast is a lot of communication and isolation. So we're working on it as we grow and we're, you know, iterating on it. But I think we nailed down something that's, I think, is going to last a long time for us. It also starts breaking down. And I've spoken with quite a few companies where the new people are having to onboard the new people. Yeah, Yeah, that's a reality of a lot of high growth startups when you've got a handful of people that are like the OG. They've been there for a while. They often know all the ins and outs of the tech and stuff, and they don't scale. So you might hire more than that original experienced group is able to even onboard. And Mm. so as people get three weeks in, they're now, oh, you're a veteran. You've been here for three months. I was at a large enterprise a few months back and I was in a conversation and the one person kept saying that they are they're the new person and come to find that they had already been there for five years, but they still considered them. So this is a company where the tenure is, is decades. and But it really is interesting to consider the newness of people and their perception of the new culture they're in. I, I actually use that in a sell- as a selling point in interviews, that you're not going to feel like there's so many new people that you're all learning together. And you're not going to feel like, oh, I'm still a new person five years in. We'll be training somebody in six months. So. I'll be fine. I think the buddy system, that's worked really well for me, both even in person. We did that at Porch. And it's one of those things where in person, you go through orientation, all of that. And then you're a few hours into your first day and you're like, where's the bathroom? And who do you ask? And so just giving that person like immediately there's somebody that they can go and ask questions that like, there's no dumb question. It's the, the person's expecting to get questions throughout the day about the code, about how things work, about who people are, all of that type of stuff. And so it just drops that barrier to like, is it okay if I ask? And certainly remote, it is even more important. So I definitely relate to that. I think what, one of the things that I've struggled with in, in scaling is this, is exactly that, especially the pinch that comes on the senior people that have been here a long time. We had four devs that were it kind of knew how everything worked. And then uh, a group of 10, now that group is 45 and it's still four people that really understand how everything works. And so they're answering questions from a lot more people every day and training a lot more people. And how do you keep them productive and interested and excited about what they're doing? And also they're critical to delivering features and but they're also, their knowledge is needed by everybody. And we're just struggling through that. I think the only thing that cures that is time that I found. I don't know that there's a, a magic bullet. Unless you're the magic startup that has everything documented. I haven't been at that one. And it's interesting for me with the buddy system that you're relying on your existing people to be advocates for process and for the company. 
So I can see so many pitfalls there. If you accidentally pick a buddy who's got some sort of hang up or doesn't value certain things around detail like others do and see it as a great system, but also super risky and one that has a non-intuitive approach to training people so that all boats rise with a great culture. And so I would say heads up or the warning label on this needs to be, hey, if you're listening to this, it's not the buddy system. It's a culture that has produced a buddy system or a system that you could have buddies or onboarding friends. Does that ring true for you? Not everybody should be a buddy. Handpick the buddies. Yeah, especially our company being global, cultures are very different. And so being very mindful that when I'm pairing somebody with someone from a different culture, communication and what's considered rude and social cues and things are very different. And so being mindful and instilling in the culture, the company culture, a respect and understanding of all cultures and education on it is also very important um, because very quickly you could have misunderstandings between folks on the African continent, even within the African continent, the culture between Nigeria, South uh, Africa, Nairobi are going to be very different than between each other. And then also folks that are in San Francisco and someone that's in Nairobi may have ex different expectations on how to interact and how to, should this relationship go. And so being very clear on what's expected of each other and how we are going to interact and the guide rails of this relationship, something that needs to be established first, just to make sure folks are on the same page or mm. we're speaking the same language and mm. getting our needs met. We've kept the buddies within country. Yeah, and I think what I'm getting from that, you have to be super intentional about who you're pairing up. It's not a round robin. It's not, oh, it's your turn. It's a. It's like you said in the beginning, Erin, it's it's a very intentional, who are we pairing this person up to set them up for success? Does that have to be, do you find that has to be within departments or does cross-functional onboarding, does, does, is there value in having a cross-functional person be the butt? Yes. I think that you get a benefit in different situations. So for example, within, if I have a very junior engineer that needs a buddy, I would probably buddy them with another engineer. I think that would probably be the better pairing for that person. Now, if I'm bringing on a TPM or an engineering manager, I might actually buddy them with someone outside of it because I think at that scope or like a staff engineer, for example, at that scope, the expectation is you're going to be more equipped and you're going to be working with a lot of people outside of just the department. And so creating those relationships, I think, is, is, is going to be more successful than maybe someone that is a brand new engineer that might be a little bit confused. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, it can be very personalized. It depends on the person, depends on their role, depends on their level of responsibility. For engineers, I've tended to put them in buddy pairs with somebody on their team. And then I actually haven't done this with other roles. So interesting. I hadn't even thought about it. Yeah, I and I, I'm, I promise I'll move off of this topic now, but I'm really fascinated by that because it goes both ways. And I, in my mind, seeing just the Im immense amount of training and cultural benefit that there needs to exist in order to unleash our people on new people. Yeah, it has me curious when we're looking at onboarding someone and putting them potentially in these buddy systems, 
is the person we're choosing to buddy up with them, do they exemplify the values of the company? Are they someone that we look at and we say, hey, that person really speaks to and lives into the culture we want to create? Is that kind of a part of what you might look at in choosing a buddy? Or is it more, oh, similar role or similar background? Does culture and value become a topic of conversation when you're thinking about the best match? Absolutely. It's in our hiring process. We don't look for culture fit, quote unquote, but we do look for the certain, there are specific values that we have as a company. And so it's an expectation, it is an expectation that everybody is embodying those values. And sure, some people are better at it than others. Some have go more deep on certain values than others. But I think that's a prerequisite for everything at Chipper Cash. So I haven't had that much difficulty in because I really, we really expect that of everyone. And I can't think really of anybody where I would be like, oh gosh, maybe they should not be chosen for the buddy system. But yes, that's definitely you want to make sure that the people that are essentially representing your culture to brand new, fresh-faced, innocent new hires, that they're representing it appropriately. Yeah. So I would absolutely expect and recommend that. Yeah, definitely. You want them to be exemplars of the culture. And then I, I would say also, this isn't the only thing we do for onboarding, right? It is a, a way for people, it's a low stakes way for people to get their questions answered or to have an outlet of like, where they don't have to feel guilty about somebody's time. That's to me the, like, the thing you want to overcome with this. It's not like the end all be all of onboarding. There's other stuff that happens. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Is there a, can we, can we just rapid fire some onboarding steps or some things that you have found works really well in that progression? There's a lot of things that are we, we take for granted that people do know, but really it would be great to just, since you're both so experienced, what have you seen and what have you enjoyed in onboarding? And then we can maybe juxtapose that in a minute with what you've seen backfire or not work. So I think Having expectations clearly laid out for new hires because people come in and they have a lot of anxiety about delivering and what what do they have to do to be doing a good job right away. And we have checklists for one of my directors started doing this and it, it's a great idea to have uh, your first week, your first month, first 90 days of go talk to these people, get your machine set up, get a task assigned to you, whatever those things are. I like getting to the point where I, I always tell my managers to make sure that you have for new engineers, a couple easy things for them to like, and a couple more than one thing for them to work on. So when they get stuck, if they can't get an answer right away, they can flip to the other thing and keep moving. If they don't know the language, making sure that they know it's okay, that, that they know, don't know the language that you're working in. And so it's okay to take that time to go. My expectation is in these two weeks that you are spending four or five hours a day learning uh, Ruby or whatever the language is. And so they don't feel bad about, oh, I'm not writing production code. I'm not working because that can come up. And then I think having regular check-ins with them. As a direct manager, the direct manager should be checking in every day or two. And then depending on how senior the person is, probably every day with somebody more junior, maybe multiple times. But then when I bring on a director, I might talk to them twice because I just give them a long list of go talk to all these people. And then I want to know what they found out. Yeah, I would echo everything Tracy said. We give folks checklists on and individuals that they should reach out to and start talking to. And expectations are big where 
especially if you're hiring a lot of top performers, we are like, what are the expectations you have of me? Because I really want to meet those um, and exceed them. So giving folks expectations, letting them know that, you know, hey, it's your first week. My expectation of you is really just getting your stuff set up, meeting some people, gaining context. Like I don't want you to, especially when you've got managers or leadership teams, I don't want you to jump in and just start shaking the house around because you want to show that you're doing things. Listen first. And sharing those types of things is kind of it. Yeah, and I think the, I am an advocate of, uh, and this is really in a CTO role, I'm an advocate of a quick win that you can provide the organization. And I imagine that at the engineering level, engineering management, director level, there's also that desire to have a quick win, demonstrate value, come in with all your ideas. And it could be a function of a hiring process that maybe created an expectation that you should hit the ground running. We need this and this from you. And then I appreciate what you said, Aaron, around maybe you shouldn't be tackling our five-year-old systems in your first week or in your first month. Yeah. So pursuing that quick win could actually have a detrimental effect probably on the team. I've worked at MailChimp in the past, and this is something that MailChimp did really well, maybe over-indexed on it, where the expectation was your first 90 days, they didn't want you doing anything. They wanted you listening, gaining context, and not trying to change things around until you understood. And 90 days is a lot. Like I struggled with that because like three months sitting on your hands and listening, like I was about to throw myself out a window. But it's good. Like the, the exercise is good is to hold off. And it's really hard if you have imposter syndrome or you're insecure because you're like, I need to prove that I'm the right choice. But it's good, especially as leaders, if you want to build relationships, you need to pay homage to what got people where they are. I think there's a tendency in leadership to come in and go, oh my gosh, I'm here to fix everything. I'm just like, why did you do all these terrible things? This is all the stuff we're going to fix. But the, the thing is, especially in high growth startups, is that every decision that was made on the way may have been the right decision at that point in time. It's not that it was the wrong decision. It's just not the right decision now. And so acknowledging that and not, casting judgment on decisions that were made in the past and listening and understanding the context and the journey that got them to where they are right now is important to gaining a lot of that context and that relationship and trust before you then get folks together and go, okay, I understand where we are and I understand where we want to go. Let's figure out what needs to change so that we can now tackle the things that are ahead of us. And in six months or 12 months, the things that you do today probably are not going to work then. And it's not that the decision was wrong. It was right in that point in time. I love yeah. that so much. And it's so true. And the thing that I encourage people to do is write down all of their impressions as they're working through the first, you know, 30, 60 days. Everything they think is broken and wrong and we shouldn't do it. And just write it down. Because if you don't write it down, eventually it just becomes normal and you've it, you don't notice it anymore. And so write it down and then come back and look at that list two months in. And some of those things, you'll know why they happened and they aren't actually problems. They're, 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 it's fine. And then the ones that are problems, you'll be reminded of them and can go work on them. Yeah, I love that you just put both put that in because it speaks to a lot of the leadership training that I've done and, and what we've moved away from in training leadership. It, it used to be so focused on 
oh, a leader comes in and they speak to what's not working and they come in and fix. And leading is about fixing and problem solving. And it's actually, we're moving away from that as we train leaders and we talk about how do you actually observe something and really get the ecosystem about it and see what's working and see how to create more opportunity and acknowledge people and really see them before you just go in and start changing things. And and I imagine that's something that maybe you both have seen the last few years that shift happening is just come and observe and the power of observation in onboarding. Yeah, I think so. I worked at some very large companies earlier in my career. And I think every time a new C-level executive came in or a new VP, everyone kind of went because we knew that they were going to come in and just completely reorg everybody immediately and change a bunch of things. And, and then it would settle out or things would go back to the way they were. But like the expectation was a leader came in and they had to impart their control and say, I'm in charge now and just shake everything up. And I'm seeing less and less of that. And I think in certainly in tech, where now we're in a space where top down authoritarian leadership does not resonate and it doesn't retain people. There's uh, a balance of bringing your expertise and bringing your knowledge as a leader to the table but taking the time to truly understand the problem before you start fixing it. We tell our engineers to do that. Don't just start coding until you understand what you're actually trying to solve. And you can't do that if you just come in and change things for the sake of changing them. Yeah, and that is so counter to the way they've built their careers, is solving problems with half thoughts quickly, rapidly. I was in a conversation with someone a few days ago, and I swear he was priding himself in telling people what the solution was when the sentence wasn't even done. And I was like, "These are this is the challenge we have is we think we deliver value if we can quickly assess, implement, and integrate like before the sun goes down. And so much of onboarding, integrating culture, changing systems – accepting people. I mean, that just takes hours and hours, what could be perceived as wasteful to an engineering team. Right. So many times when I bring in someone, I think they have to, I just have to show them what to do and they have to just quickly do that. And any time I have to explain something for the second time or it's wasteful. And I try and encourage people, that's all, those are good hours. The Answering the same question three or four times, those are the wasteful, wonderful hours. Do that. Let someone feel the safety, the non-judgment, the acceptance that asking the same question multiple times is, is wonderful. It's okay. One of our co-founders, Majid, often says, reminds us that you have to say something three times for people to actually absorb it and reminds us of that often because we are very busy. It's the expectations like I've already talked to you about this and I have a lot of things I'm trying to juggle. I call it juggling chainsaws. Like I have a lot of things and the reminder is important that communication is not one revolution. It's a constant loop. And I need to be, I need to account for that time. I need to be able to continue to reinforce the communication I've already communicated to make sure that it actually sticks. Plus in the high growth startup, what you said a month ago or two months ago hasn't been heard by a bunch of people on the team. That is true. true. And if I consider how embarrassed I feel, if I have to ask the same question twice, even to my C-suite, imagine just the feelings. I've just arrived. I'm not 
rocking. What is going on here? I need more help. Oh, shucks. They just hired me. What does this say about my value? And we know, I'm sure everyone has a story about when this didn't happen and a story when it did, but even great hires can fail at our companies if we don't powerfully integrate them into our culture and into our organization and systems. What Will you share um, anything you would offer about that? Like how either a story of what went wrong so people can have some tips about what to look out for or a story when you did really hire a great candidate and how it went so right and what led. I think I can share what I'm struggling with right now. And maybe you guys have ideas. We've been going through all this rapid growth and we have a system that has that's not documented well, that has a lot of unforeseen side effects. And we've been really struggling with bringing on senior engineers and keeping them because senior engineers want to be able to drive stuff independently. They're used to taking on a project and, and getting it shipped. And a lot of our stuff, they get close, they get 90% done. And then it's, oh, actually the way you did this isn't going to work at all because of some side effect that you had no way of ever discovering on your own. And it can be incredibly frustrating. And so I've been trying to figure out how do we, obviously we need to fix those problems, but Part of the way we do that is with these senior engineers, right? That's why we're hiring them is to help change the code base in this way. But I guess this is probably the biggest onboarding problem I've had where even a couple months in, people feel like they should be comfortable and they're not because Mm. of this. And I don't know, any ideas there would be amazing. Yeah, I, I, I can speak to that. One of the things that I've noticed is this idea of architecting loosely coupled systems. And so what I often find is there's a computer reason to do that, i.e. interfaces, API, whatever, scaling. But then there's also doing that so you can empower teams. And I, I, I also thought sometimes you think about these computer systems as telling the interpreters what to do so it can compile to CPUs and go do stuff. And we've got to do that as efficiently as possible. I never thought of it until recently as, wow, let's also re-architecture for the independence and the empowerment of teams. So one thing I would just throw out there is what does a decoupling project look like where your senior engineers don't see it as, I've got a code inside of a system that is not well-documented and breaks things that I didn't realize What if one can take a step back and say, hey, senior engineers, we're actually part of a re-architecting where we decouple systems? How does that? Yeah, I think that is exactly the path we're on. It is, we're in the throats of it. To touch on what Brittany had asked about success in onboarding or failure in onboarding, we, when I first got here, we were growing very quickly, brought on a lot of folks the onboarding process was not super good yet. It's still under iteration and folks were feeling very isolated. And we're also during this phase where it's hiring folks, especially since I focus a lot on making sure that we're hiring diverse people. And so it's one thing to finally get people in the door. It's also you have to make sure they feel supported and heard. And so you can hold on those to those folks so that your the pipeline that you build, also people stay. If they feel uncomfortable once they get here, then they're going to leave. And the thing that I, I found very interesting about remote work specifically is that when I was working in an office, my engagement, my relationship, my attachment to the company 
was actually when I introspected it a lot, not an attachment to the company, but attachment to the people that I worked with. And through those people is what I identified as the company. So my team, my engagement with other humans, it was the human experience that connected me to the company that I worked for. And what I notice in remote companies that are struggling is that they are, it's all very transactional. They're like, we're still doing the same stuff. We're still, but we're just doing it on Zoom or Google Meet or whatever. And it's because it's very transactional, you've lost the human connection, which is what connected people to the company. And so what I've been trying to roll out is what I consider these culture anchors, where we have a lot of folks in areas across the globe. How do we enable not working sessions, not everybody come to the office? I don't think, I think the solution that a lot of companies have is they'll bring everybody back to work. I don't think you need to do that. I think what you need is like the outlets for people that want to connect to other people at the company. And so whether it's happy hours or a co-working space that's optional or, but let people connect on that level, a human level where they can actually get coffee. We can, everybody goes and has lunch together or something. And that's the human connection that will actually connect those these people to the company again and feel more collaborative. And that I'm seeing is, as I've started enabling some of it, is becoming really impactful. Where all of a sudden, we haven't changed how all we've done is given people the opportunity to meet together, to bond, to share food, to talk about things that are very relative to them. And then they go back to their home office and they still feel very connected to the people that they're now interacting with through Zoom because it's no longer just transactional because they have these bonds that if we can continue to sustain it, will also, I think, sustain the positivity of the collaboration. Yeah, that's so beautiful, especially coming off of our leadership trimester where we were talking about needs and like really getting clear on what people's needs are. And if someone has that level of love and belonging and connection, it really just makes the rest of it possible and relationships and all of that. And what I hear you're saying is that to have a great candidate turn into a great hire and stay there and be successful is they got to create that human connection with their team and with the organization. Like, what does it look like on a human level? Any last thoughts? The last thing that keeps popping up in my mind, and I think we spoke to this inadvertently, but the longest time I would always hear people say, hire great people and get out of their way. What are your, as a last thing to just check in on, what are your thoughts on that statement or that way we used to talk about bringing people on board? I hate that. And I hate it because I think I've seen a lot of people use that for lazy leadership where you, you they hire someone and then they just yeet them into the middle of stuff and leap them. And it's like sink or swim. You're empowered. You're so empowered. I'm getting out of your way. And you haven't set anybody up for success. So I, I tend to call responsible autonomy where I want you to be autonomous, but I'm responsible for making sure that you're successful. And that means giving you enough support so that you are able to be autonomous and start making decisions, have enough context to make the right decisions. And then I can slowly like back out once you've got your footing. But yeah, I think people too often will just hire really brilliant people and then think that, well, that's I'm done. Like you're brilliant. And then just let them flounder. Mm -hmm. That was great. Mm -hmm. I think one of the I, I think about the 
analogy of, oh, I, I, I once said this to at, uh, my previous company. I was talking to somebody. I was like, oh, as we're trying to turn this battleship and it just takes a long time to actually get it turned. But as we're trying to like pivot the company and their response was like, we don't have a battleship. We have 500 speedboats and we're trying to, to turn them. In startup, that's often what it is. Wow. And, and I think that company was a lot of hire as many brilliant people and get out of their way and see what happens. And it was a lot of speedboats that were, it was hurting cats, right? They're everywhere. And maybe that turns into magic. It often turns into chaos and just creates, I think, part of what I view my job as, is getting everybody aligned and moving in the same direction mm. and putting up some lanes for the boats to go in, which isn't just hire, fire and forget. I love it. I love it. I thinking about the sort of for my final thought is maybe and and we've discussed a lot of things. So if there's any lingering one thing that anybody who's listening, you have felt has been a magic bullet or a a really secret ingredient to how you onboard. I love what we said about buddies. I love what we said about these progressive checklists. I think those are all super tactical and great, not getting out of people's ways too quickly, but really having them with these culture anchors and all that. Just in your final thought, is there anything that you feel people could know of as a sort of an insider trick that you also feel is valuable? We do. We've started doing pre-recorded videos of like walkthroughs of the code base and stuff like that, that especially because we're in multiple time zones and all of that, it, it's difficult to get time with the, the people who know uh, code. And so walking through that in a video mm. and then as people come aboard, they can watch those videos and get a sense mm. of how this. And what I love about that is not just that those videos exist, but imagine a new hire opening up a wiki and just seeing this wealth of information. Boy, what a what an impactful thing that. Yeah, we found similar when you've got a finite number of people that have the expertise in a particular thing. And so recording it then also allows for people to watch and learn at their own pace, rewatch something and not have to feel like they're bothering the same senior person over and over again. So that's, that is a super unlocking a way to scale a subject matter expertise mm. as you grow. Very good. Great. Thank you both so much for joining us and giving these tidbits and sharing some insight and really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you for having us. This is amazing. Thank you for listening to today's episode of CTO Studio. This is a little taste of the many conversations we have inside 7 CTOs. In addition to our peer groups, 7 CTOs members are also part of Slack where ad hoc issues can be addressed by the larger collective. We also have one to two Zoom calls a week where we go deep on specific challenges like brand new technologies, hiring strategies, people management, and expanding our influence and branding as technology leaders. Also check out 7CTOs.com where we publish our list of events like upcoming retreats and colloquiums in a city near you. Applications are always open, so mention CTO Studio when you apply and you'll get a free strategy session with me. Wouldn't that be fun? See you next week.